Everybody, welcome to Adventure Retired, the podcast where retired people share what they're doing in their retirement to help you start living your best retired life. We are Kurt and Cindy Liljadal, your hosts, and today we're going to talk to Richard Barbary and his retirement adventure. But first, here's a life lesson from Kurt. Today's life lesson is shop for sales. Now you oh. see the flyers all the time. Yeah, <laughs> Cindy do. loves to I shop. Like to shop. But you see the flyers all the time about things going on sale. And you don't want to impulse buy. That's not a good thing. And that, that, that can be a problem. It a can be. It people. gets very expensive. But if you look for sales, whether it's in the newspaper, on the internet, in Amazon, or something like that, if you look for sales for stuff you want to buy, plan ahead. Don't make it an immediate purchase. Make it something you plan for. You'll usually find a sale, and you can save yourself 10, 15, 20%. Yeah, I mean, I think it helps to put things in your cart and step back and wait a while and think, do I really need this? Yeah, we <laughs> have something a, that I want. We have a big box store here that sells like lumber and stuff. And every once in a while, everything you buy is 11% off. And I know if you know, you're going to like build a room on your house or something, that's a good time to buy. Exactly. But also, you know, the thing is, is you want to also support those local businesses. Definitely support local businesses. All right. All right. Let's get on to the interview. Today, we are interviewing a wonderful guest from Bulgaria. Bulgaria. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I know. Do you know where Bulgaria is? I had to look it up. You had to look it up? Yeah. It's really close to where we want to go next year. Yeah, we want to get to Croatia, but... So, we might stop and see you, Richard. But anyway, we have Richard Bar... Is it Barbary? Barbary, yes. Okay, Barbary. Richard Barbary. You you pronounced it correctly. Okay, good, good. good. And um, before we start with um, talking about retiring in a foreign country, tell us what um, you did before you retired. Well, I retired. Uh, I actually had two careers going at the same time. Uh, I retired from teaching in in Southwest Georgia uh, in 2010. And while I was at school at Ohio State, uh, I joined the Ohio Air National Guard because they would pay my tuition through college. And nice. my roommate came. Yeah, my roommate came to me and says, "Come join the guard." They'll pay your tuition through school. And I said, do they look at your GPA? And he went, no. And so I said, where do I sign? And so I thought I'd do six years, uh, do the six-year commitment from the Guard. And I did 33, so I'm not very good at math. Oh, my goodness. That's a long time. That's great, though. Thank you. So uh, it worked it out uh, well because I did them both. And I kind of retired about the same time in the States around 2010 uh, from that. So being a public school teacher and retiring, I knew one of the reasons why I became a public school teacher, uh, because besides the fact that my entire family are, were public school teachers, I knew that I would be getting a, a retirement from the state in that. So as I was getting closer to retirement and I was having a lot of change of life going on. So I was in the process of getting divorced and I really didn't want to stay in the state. I wanted to go uh, someplace else to teach. I thought I would go to like North Carolina or 
Virginia or something like that. Uh Uh, But in 2010 with the crisis, it, that, you know, teaching jobs were a little scarce. Uh, But I got a job offer in Kuwait. Wow. And, And in fact, when I was in the reserves, my old boss was trying to get me to Kuwait for three years for the Air Force. And I kept on dodging that one. And so the irony was, is the very first job I take after I get out of the Air Force is in the country that he wanted me to go to for three years. And so even though I retired from teaching in 2010, it really didn't feel like it that much because I retired in June, first week of August, I was celebrating Ramadan in Kuwait at 120 degrees. So it was a a little bit of a culture shock. Oh, I'm sure it was. um, It was, but it was, uh, I thought I would do like one year, then come back to the States and start teaching someplace in the States. And I found out about after a couple of months, I was talking to one of the other teachers that came in with me. We were actually going out one night for dinner. And I said, I now understand international teaching and what the lifestyle is because there's about 30, 35,000 teachers from the United States that teach overseas. Oh my. Okay. They're literally all over the world. And so. Is that what they call the American school system or? Well, here's what I, you know, when I was teaching in Georgia, teaching overseas to me meant uh, trying to teach at a Department of Defense school at some military base, or I would be like uh, Harry Potter, live on a mountain, have a cloak and a stick, (laughs) and I would be teaching like in Switzerland, and because I didn't know what private school, that's what I thought private schools were in the world. Uh I had no idea how many private schools there are. And there's thousands and thousands of them all over the world. Really? And so I had no idea what I was doing. So I was literally like, they sent me my requirements for coming into Kuwait and I had to go get, you know, blood test and, you know, physical exam. And I gave my doctor the requirement. There were certain tests that they were asking for in Kuwait. And my doctor looked at the list and he goes, I have no idea what they're asking for. And he had to go like to the medical books to kind of figure out that they wanted things like for elephantitis and all this other stuff, which we don't have a big deal in the United States. Right, right. But anyway, I uh, first week of August of 2010, I got on an airplane in Albany, Georgia, and about 18 hours later, I was in Kuwait. Wow. So let me just interrupt you here. Kuwait, how was teaching there? What was it like? It was, it was fine. It, I literally, it was an American curriculum school. Okay. But it was just in Kuwait. So all the children that we taught were, about half my students were Kuwaiti. And the other half were Lebanese and Jordanian and Saudi and Qatarian and Emirati and 
Iranian and Indian. And so we had a large mix like that. We had a few students that were actually Americans that were, their parents were there as some of them were in the embassy and the diplomatic corps. Some were in, worked for the oil companies there. Oh yeah, and, that's big. Over and there. all that. So it was, uh, it was a unique experience. So I literally taught the same history book in Kuwait that I taught in Albany, Georgia the, the year before. So I was teaching uh, world history. And so I literally didn't have to change a thing nice. curriculum wise because I knew that. And this is at high school level, I take it. This was at a high school. I was okay. teaching uh, primarily ninth through 12th grade. And we ran the same curriculum. It was actually a California curriculum. So that's what we ran in our school. But there were lots of different schools. There was British schools and German schools and Russian schools huh. and French schools. I just find it amazing that you go to Kuwait and you teach American history, not Kuwait history, you know? It's world just, history. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was well, world, I did world history. history okay. But I actually did teach American history, too. And the reason why is in, in international teaching, uh, especially in American curriculum, a lot of these students are aiming to go to the United States or Canada or Europe or Australia. So having an American curriculum was kind of big for them in that sense. So lots of my kids were going to the United States or Canada to go to school. So okay. it worked out. I did have some go to Great Britain. I had a few go to American universities in other Arab countries. So I had some kids go to the University of Texas in Dubai. Really? Georgetown wow. has one in Doha. Northwestern Qatar was in Doha. So, I mean, Duke University has one in Dubai. So you had some of that. And then you had a lot of the other ones going to other places. So you, um, you kind of retired from your first teaching job, go into a second mm -hmm. teaching job. Was Kuwait the only place you've taught, or have you taught at other American schools around? I taught four years in Kuwait, and I had a job opportunity to go to China for a oh year. My. And so I went to China, and so I was, my school was like literally on the Pearl River, which goes, it's in southern China, so we were right between Guangzhou, Shenzhen, Macau, and Hong Kong. And so I was 90 minutes from uh, drive from Guangzhou. I was 90 minutes from Shenzhen. I was 90 minutes from Macau. And I was 70 minutes by ferry from Hong Kong. Hmm. So I was in a small little fishing village of 400,000, which in Ooh. China was a <laughs> small little fishing oh, village. It's wow. a village, yeah. Yeah, it was. No one knew it. In fact, it became the second free zone port in China. Uh -huh. uh, so Shenzhen started off about 400,000 and now it's like 9 million. Wow. Uh, and so Nansha was actually on the cusp of doing that uh, when I left. In fact, I've seen, uh, I was through the channels in, in Kuwait and they were showing that they were going to do a big CNBC business conference in Nansha, China. And I was like, good luck. And, yeah. and that, so it was, but that was another school that was an American curriculum. 
I was the, I taught at the time I was teaching uh, AP human geography and also did the, I was one of the ones who worked with the model United Nations program. So I literally took my kids from China back to the Middle East to go to a conference in Qatar and it was great. They just loved the desert because they didn't quite see a lot of deserts oh, in yeah. South China. Yeah. So, but I did that for a year. And then I actually came back to Kuwait and taught another four years. And by then, 2019, and I was getting to the point that I was really like thinking about actually retiring. Again. And well, again, yeah, because yeah. I, yeah, it, it, try to do it really this time. And so during all the time, during the first time I was in Kuwait, I actually got remarried to a woman that's from Bulgaria. And so, yes. And so that's how I got eventually to Bulgaria. So throughout the time that we've been married, I've been, we've been flying back to Bulgaria, just like I would fly back to the States during the summer and during the holidays and all that a lot of times. Okay. okay, cool. All right. Well, that's quite a career. I yeah. mean, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been busy. And um, we've been able to travel a lot with this. We actually got married during my spring break. And so she was in Bulgaria. So I literally had to fly like the night we got out for spring break, went to Bulgaria, had to do all the paperwork and got married. And then we flew back and Back to Kuwait, so sound like a couple college kids almost. <laughs> almost, it was it was an experience, that's for sure. Okay, sure. so all right, let me move us on a little bit. You live now in Bulgaria. What is the city you live in, or the town? The town is called Province. Okay, it's about fifty-five kilometers, or about thirty-five miles, thirty thirty-five miles from Sofia, the capital. Okay, my wife Rumiana is actually from Sofia. And this was, we were looking for a place in Sofia to live and we just really couldn't find the right place for us. And so I found, we found a place about 30 minutes up the road on the highway. So I got to go through three tunnels and, and that to get here, but it's in a, on a lake and. Oh, nice. It's actually a resort here. So we have a, there's like seven golf courses in the entire country of Bulgaria. And I'm on one of the seven golf courses. Well, that's a wonderful retirement place. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a, uh, it's nice. It's beautiful. We're in the Balkan Mountains. And so we get lots of snow and time, but uh, we're kind of in a small valley. Do you rent your place or do you own it or? No, we actually bought this place. We found this house in 2017. And I I knew by then that I was on my last contract. And in, in most international schools, your first contract is a two-year contract. Okay. And then you can go to a one-year or stay two-year if you want. And... So I just signed my last contract and I like, I knew that we were eventually, I wasn't going to go back to Kuwait. So I actually went on and um, we started looking around and we really couldn't find a place until like a week before we were actually going back to Kuwait. 
and we found this place and like I can, I went out on our balcony of the, it's a duplex and I could see the lake and the mountains and I was like, I actually told the realtor, I'm not saying I'm going to buy here, but if I buy here, this is the only place that I want. And we bought it. And I saw it in 2017. We signed the contract actually in 2018 because we actually, we flew back for Christmas and did all the paperwork and then we paid it off last year. And so I've, we've done all the remodel and that. So the house is paid off. One of the nice things that I had when I was uh, starting to teach overseas was the ability to pay off all my debt. So I paid all that off in about two years. And then, so I had like seven years of just saving and all that. And so my wife had a couple of properties in Sofia. She sold a couple of those. And by the time we did all that and our savings, we were able to easily do that. So right now we are comfortably living in Bulgaria. That's great. So are you a citizen of Bulgaria or are you still? No, I'm still an American citizen. And do you ever see yourself moving back to America or visiting? Oh, I always visit. We always, well, except for the last time we were there was about a year ago. We, um, when I was teaching in Kuwait and in China, we usually tried to take in the summertime because we got about the same amount of time off as you get we got in the state. So we would take like six weeks off and come back to the state uh, and see my family there and do some traveling around. So because Rumi have never been there. So we went to, you know, we drove around the East Coast. My family's in Atlanta, but we went back up to Ohio where I grew up and we've been to, and I've taken to New York City and Niagara Falls, and I also used to live in, uh, for a short period of time in Las Vegas, so we've been there a few times and and the whole bit, so we've traveled around a good bit in the States, and then the other time we would then come back to, normally back to Bulgaria in the summer, and then we would travel Europe, so we've been to France, and you know, we've been to Paris, we've been to Prague, we've been to Bratislava, we've been to Vienna a couple times. Oh, and, yeah. Which is the huge advantage of, of retiring overseas right. is you have, you know, the world right in your backyard. Well, there. the European. Yeah, yeah when, exactly. Yeah, it's Bucharest is a um, five-hour drive from the house. And so Belgrade is four hours the other way. Croatia oh, okay. is like eight, nine hours away by car. Athens is an eight-hour drive it's a four-hour drive to Greece, and then it's another three hours to Athens. So it's it's really great in that sense. And then, you know, with the airplane, my stepson uh, lives in the Netherlands, and so we flew up there last September for a week and went to Amsterdam and Harlem and all around the Netherlands and that. Oh, yeah. What we normally tried to do was when I was teaching – uh, during our spring break, we since that's when our anniversary was, we usually tried to go someplace that was different. So we've been to Bali, we've been to the Maldives and Seychelles, Seychelles and Sri Lanka and 
other places along those lines. So we have had, uh, it's been great for traveling in that sense. Oh yeah. And we were, wonderful. we were going to, uh, Spain and Morocco for our anniversary this year, but we've been kind of shut down with, uh, with COVID over here. And so we yeah like the States and all that. And so we've just been kind of just taking care of the house and, Hunkering down like everybody. That's what we're all doing. We're, we're doing our honeydews yeah. now. We have, <laughs> we've been trying to plan trips, and it's kind of until we get over this hump, we're we're just gonna stay right here. And yeah, that's I think everybody. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming, I'm I'm sorry, I'm assuming since you're married to a Bulgarian citizen, that kind of makes you a I don't know, do you? You have papers and like your insurance yeah. and taxes. Do you do you pay taxes in the United States or? Oh yes. Oh you yes. Know? Oh, you do. <laughs> One of the, okay. Yeah. Uh, I've never given up, and I won't give up my citizenship in the states. Okay. But good. ever since I've ever since I've been overseas, this is now ten years. I've always had residency in the particular country that I was in. So, and that's you don't have to. There's ways around it, but it makes your life a whole lot easier if you become a resident. So I'm not okay. a citizen of Bulgaria, but I do have Bulgarian residency. I had that the eight years I was in Kuwait. And it, okay. So I wasn't a citizen of Kuwait, but I was a foreigner living in the country legally in that. So I had a Kuwaiti ID card, or in China, I had a Chinese ID card. I had a uh, in Bulgaria, I have a Bulgarian ID. Okay. So I have that. In Kuwait, in China, I had government health insurance. And he, oh, here, okay. I have to have health insurance in Bulgaria. I don't get government, per se, but I do get, um, I have to have private health insurance here that I pay for the year to maintain my residency. But my entire insurance bill over here is $80 a year. Oh, oh. man. Yeah. yeah. And so like... Definite yeah, advantage. Um, there's a small clinic in Providence. Providence is about 8,000 people in the municipality. And they have a small clinic here. And I had to go to the clinic for... Uh, I was having some uh, medical issues and I went in there, and they checked me, gave me medicine, and it was, I walked in, walked out, and it was free. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah, it's, it's a little nicer than the States. I try to explain the States over here, and it's just, they don't understand. And then there's a, a hospital about 10 minutes away in a town called Botograd. You know, I pay just a little bit. I had to go get my eyes checked a couple of weeks ago in Sofia, and I think we paid $40 for both of our exams. So, oh, nice. so it was, uh, so that's good. Tax wise, you were asking me that my taxes are because I get paid pensions from the air force and from the state of Georgia, that's earned income. So I have to pay income tax on that as if I was oh, in the yeah. States living okay. overseas and working overseas when I was, Everybody says, oh, you don't have to pay any taxes. Well, because I was making an earned income in the States, I had to pay taxes on that. 
all my money that I made overseas was not taxed. However, uh, so in the States, I get, if you're working overseas, you get 90, or in the numbers might have changed a little bit. It's like $97,000 a year if you were single and 127000 for a couple overseas that was ex- tax exempt. If you made more than that, then you had to pay taxes on it. And for oh, teachers, okay. some teachers in some countries had to pay tax, but they have, there were certain reasons why. But for me, what they would do is I wouldn't be taxed on my money in Kuwait. And that means literally every dollar, everything that they paid for for me, I had to be I had to count it. So like my airline tickets back and forth for the school, I had to pay oh, okay. for that. Like itemizing. Yeah, so I had to pay for I got free uh, a free apartment or I got a stipend when I rented my own place. My health insurance and all that. So all that added up. It was still under the amount, so I didn't have to pay taxes on it. But what the okay. go- what the United States government did is they count that money first, then they take my money in the states and put it on top so yeah. Uh, yeah and so i had to pay like about five or six percent more than i would normally but it balanced out because i didn't have to pay it on all the other money that i made so it was it's still a pretty good deal yeah this is my first year that i've not worked at all and so i just have to pay my regular taxes in the states like i if i was in the states Okay. Okay. If you were going to tell somebody, you know, this is the best part of about retiring in Bulgaria or overseas. Your you what, betcha moment. Yeah. What would be your you betcha moment? Why did you decide that this is where you want to retire? Well, it helped to marry a Bulgarian. That that would do it. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a big part of it. Uh, yeah. She. Yeah. It's it's one of those. I understand why people want to live overseas. I've been doing it for 10 years. And so unlike when I read the the different forms and posts that we see as retirees and listen to a lot of things on YouTube, it's a lot of people that live in the States and they want to go move overseas for like the very first time. For me, I've been overseas for 10 years. And so I'm typically not back in the States more than six weeks to two months at most a year. So it was a lot easier for me. What I try to tell people that talk to me about trying to do this is, and I don't really care where they want to go. The very first thing that I try to tell people is you need to know yourself and what you're comfortable with. You need to understand what your finances are at retirement. And are you willing to do that? Uh, That's a good point. You also have to look at things such as you need to talk to your your spouse or your partner or someone about what you want to do because, I mean, it sounds exotic and, you know, wonderful and all that stuff. And there are times that it is. I mean, when I'm sitting on the beach in the Maldives, which was, you know, on a private island, it was absolutely wonderful. Not everybody understands that. Uh, But when I was living in Kuwait, you know, and there are things that you see there. So we, you know, I would go to camel races and things like that. But 
it was a day-to-day grind. I mean, I was still waking up at five o'clock and still going to school and still grading papers and lesson plans and teaching <laughs> like I was 7,000 miles the other way. So right. I was kind of used to it. If you want to do it, you need to talk to, I would definitely talk to your spouse and, or your family and kind of give them an idea of what you're thinking about. It's not just the financial part. You need to look at, are you, what are you giving up versus what are you, your uh, goals are by going over. So we just had our first grandbaby. Uh, She's now two. And congratulations. Thank you. Uh, She's wonderful, but I don't get to see her like normal. My sister is in, in Georgia and she has all, she, all her grandchildren are within 30 minutes of her house. And so they, you know, it's a different mindset in that sense. So, you know, there's things that you will be giving up from the States or Canada, wherever, uh, if you go and overseas, I love it. I, you know, this is to be able to wake up and to see all the places that I've been. I mean, I have, you know, we would travel regularly to Hong Kong. So we would travel out of there and to be on a ferry boat with 200 Chinese and us going to Hong Kong and flying that way, flying over uh, Russia and seeing Europe and living here. It's been a surreal experience in that sense. That sounds like it. But you're right. You have to, you know, before you decide this decision, you have to weigh the pros and cons and what what is it that you want? Because definitely uh, people probably run into situations where they, oh, I didn't realize it'd be like this. I was going to say on the flip side of that, we have what we call our hell no moment. What's been the absolute worst about retiring in okay. overseas? overseas? Anywhere, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, overseas. It's, one is, is that there are things you're just not going to get. It's gotten a lot easier in years since I've been there because there are just certain things I couldn't get. So, and so you kind of have to adjust and, you know, appreciate that. Uh, when I was teaching in Kuwait, not only, you know, I could get most of the stuff from the States or from Europe that I, to make my life comfortable, but except for things like pork. And so by May, <laughs> I've been, you know, people think that we, you know, it was a dry country, Kuwait. You weren't supposed to have alcohol, but you, there are ways of finding alcohol there. But it was really <laughs> tough to buy pork. And so... Oh, oh to live without bacon oh, would be I hard. Would, <laughs> I would dream of bacon. Uh, <laughs> the summer that after we got... My wife and I got married, and I took her back to the States to meet my family, we stayed in a hotel, and they had a breakfast buffet that came with the room. And so it was all you can eat. And I opened up one of the trays and it was full of bacon. And I can remember I told the waitress, and this was in South Georgia, so I went in my South Georgia exit. I said, ma'am, you need to go back to the cook 
and you need to tell him to cook some more bacon because this ain't enough bacon. And I think <laughs> I think I ate about a pound of bacon oh, that yeah. that day. And so God bless oh, America, yeah. huh? Uh, yeah. Now Bulgaria, we get plenty of bacon. Beef is what I have a tough time here. It, they don't eat beef here that much. Uh, oh, I can get okay. some, but it's not as good. They eat a lot of veal, and they keep on trying to explain to me that veal is beef. And I'm like, veal's yeah. not, you know, I know what veal is. It's not. <laughs> That's right. It's not an Omaha steak, okay? Yeah, so there, you just, just, there you yeah, go. Yeah, let's straight it out. So, but it's, there are things like that. The biggest thing around here that I miss is, and I had it a lot in Kuwait, was the limited amount of expats or expatriates that live here. Right. When I lived in right. Kuwait, there were, uh, I was in expat groups. And so I knew a lot of Canadians and British and Americans. And we, we met on a regular basis and did things together and all that. The people here oh, are neat. wonderful, but I am literally the only American that lives in my resort. We have we have Russians, we have Croatians, we have Serbians, we have Italians, uh, we have Dutch, but I'm the only American. And even in the hotel, they'll if someone comes from America, they go, "Oh, we have an American guy that lives here," and so when they see me and all that. So it's kind of like old home week there. Yeah, it becomes, yeah, I'm the panda when it comes to uh, around <laughs> here because everybody kind of looks at me and, and talks to me about that. But, I mean, the people are, people are people all over the world. They were the same way in China and the whole bit. But I really, I really, you know, there are times that, you know, I miss, you know, I went to the Ohio State University. And so, uh not being able to go to the games or listen, you know, I can still get the games, but it's a, because we're seven hours from um, time zone difference. Right. A lot of the shows, a lot of like that I can normally get, they're like at three o'clock in the, you know, two or three o'clock in the morning. So <laughs> I really don't, you know, I kind of miss that part there, but I mean, I wake up every morning. We have a, small dog we have a puppy it's a shih tzu named sharo which is a bulgarian name and in bulgaria a sharo is supposed to be a big dog that herds sheep together and ours is a little <laughs> shih tzu and so when all the you know when bulgarian says what's your dog's name i say sharo they just look at him and laugh and uh, yeah and so it's but you know even during the pandemic, even during the quarantine, I was able to wake up every day and take my take Charo around the lake and twice a day, and oh, sounds, and it's beautiful. beautiful. Oh, it is. Um, okay, we just it you know it just sounds like a wonderful retirement, and we're so happy that um, you and I connected on the Facebook there, and we want to thank you for yeah. letting us talk to you today. Oh, no problem. It's been enjoyable. It sounds very interesting, life. And y'all are more than welcome to come to Croatia. We're about a half a day, we're about a day's drive away. You are more than welcome to come here. We can take you to the 
winery spas or anything oh okay you just we're hoping to be there next fall yeah. we had to cancel this falls but like I, everything else yeah i just can't wait to get to croatia so thank you so much richard and you enjoy your beautiful scenery there and drink your coffee looking at the mountains and the lake and thank you again thank you we'll talk to you later thank we'll you we'll talk to you later bye-bye all right. Well, that was Bulgarian Richard's reboot of retirement. I know. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. What was that? Retirement's the new beginning? Yeah, yeah. And he yeah. really changed it up, and that's cool, you know? Well, Sometimes it, you got to do that. You know, for a lot of people, retirement is you know such a goal, and if you don't have a clear path, you make it as you go. Yeah. The, the uh, friend of mine, we use that hashtag, don't sit too soon. Well, we found out the actual quote is Don't Start Sitting Too Soon by Mary Claire Compton. So we wanted to give a shout out to her. Yes, we love that. Yeah, it's a good one. We like it. Anyway, reach out to us. We're always looking for guests that are living their retirement. Yeah, I mean, we found Richard on Facebook. I'd love to get to know other people that way. So if you have a great retirement story or journey. Reach out to us at AdventureRetired.com or AdventureRetired at gmail.com. And we would love to interview you and get you on the airwaves. I, I see myself going to Bulgaria. Bulgaria. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. As soon as the border is open. I love you, Cindy. <laughs> I love you more. And that's a kid and loved you.